Welcome to Beer Me. I am your host, Sarah Jane. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world. From brewers, importers, educators, this will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So welcome back to the show, everybody. Um, excited to have you all listening in. I'm very, very excited about this show because this show concept was born from a request uh, from one of our listeners. So we have somebody uh, who's based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and they had specifically reached out and said, hey, I would love to hear uh, from a brewery or from a brewer uh, in the area of Charlotte, North Carolina, because we have so many amazing breweries, which is absolutely true. There's tons of great breweries and um, all kinds of great beverage establishments in and around Charlotte, North Carolina. And one of the first places that came to my mind um, was Fontaflora Brewery. Um, this is a brewery that just this past November celebrated their eight-year anniversary. Um, they're a farmhouse brewery. They have a couple different locations as far as uh, tap rooms, um, but they are based on a farm. And they embrace a lot of uh, local ingredients, seasonal ingredients, and they do these really creative, uh, fantastic beers. So I'm very excited to welcome onto the show uh, Todd Boyra. He is the co-founder and creative director at Fontaflora Brewery. One, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show. And two, hopefully I did a nice little synopsis or gave you justice. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much for having me. And that was a great synopsis. And you pronounced my last name correctly as well. So that's great. I might have said it earlier, but yeah, so that's also points. So yeah. Oh, well, thank you. No, um, I'll give you, uh, I'm so neurotic about pronouncing people's names correctly um, that I search YouTube videos with them um, or old podcasts <laughs> yeah, that they've yeah. been on so that I can hear pronunciations. Yep, that's, that's very smart. That makes sense. <laughs> smart, neurotic, you know, we'll go, we'll go either one. Um, but Todd, thank you so much. I've, I've been a longtime fan um, of your beers. Um, I had mentioned that your brewery creates these really exciting beers. Can you maybe just do a little description on, you know, kind of what your philosophy is on brewing and, and what your focus has been? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess sort of, yeah, the quick kind of, um, you know, thing that we like to say is that uh, we brew beer with a sense of place and agricultural purpose. Uh, and that's been sort of the driving force uh, that's really guided us from day one when we weren't on a farm. Uh, we started in downtown Morganton, North Carolina at the end of 2013 and then didn't expand, uh, you know, in a, in a little flat iron uh, building was where the first brewery was. And then, you know, so not on a farm at all, you know, but still always kind of led with that. Uh, the mindset of brewing with local ingredients. Uh, so really kind of always pretending that we were a, a farmhouse brewery and then had the opportunity a few years later uh, to acquire a piece of, of land that now we, we call home as our, as our production brewery on uh, an old dairy farm. So yeah, you know, our goal has always been to brew beer you know, with local ingredients, uh, you know, trying to make beer with that, that idea of 
a sense of place. And so we were doing it when we were a little flat iron nano brewery in downtown Morganton and now continue to find ways to do that, uh, that help reflect what it is that we're trying to accomplish on, uh, on our new, not, not so new anymore, but uh, farmhouse uh, production brewery. Nice. And so uh, some examples of some beers, I believe you've done beers with beets, pawpaws, persimmon. I mean, you've gotten very, very creative. Yeah. You know, really sort of name the ingredient and specifically if it has any sort of cultural significance to uh, Appalachia, we've likely tried to incorporate it into a beer. Uh, you know, right before we went live, you were mentioning Scratch Brewing Company, and they're very good friends and and such uh, inspirational people, and very inspirational from what they do as a brewery, and sort of from them, you know, adopted a long time ago the use of um, non traditional woods uh, in how they you know how they can be incorporated in beers. We stumbled upon it last year and we're getting ready to do it again just because it happens to, I guess, be at the same time, but we'll have four different beers in cans at the same time that incorporated a different wood from, you know, our, our forests. Um, so offering a mixed four pack of, of different wood, uh, we call them tree beers, you know, so in the wintertime specifically, it gets harder and harder to find cool ingredients that are still, you know, localized to, you know, to us. So we start, we still kind of turn to the forest and, uh, you know, make use of stranger ingredients um, that most folks still to this day don't utilize that we just feel end up, you know, creating beers that really do kind of get after that, that concept and, you know, of, of creating you know, something with a sense of place. Uh, because if you came to our farmhouse and, you know, you had a beer with maple bark or hickory bark or, you know, whatever it was, you know, it's a really kind of transformative experience. Yeah. I just want to back up real quick for some listeners. Um, we were talking about uh, Scratch Beer. Um, they're out of um, Illinois. Um, and uh, something really cool that they've put out is the Homebrewers Almanac. Um, and this is a book that features uh, unique plants and other ingredients that, you know, or it can be forged. Um, but it, it, it in- incorporates a, a kind of a garden mentality to the beer. It's it's won all kinds of awards. Definitely check it out. But looping looping back, I had an immediate question. So th- this this wood beer sounds absolutely uh fantastic. How are you incorporating the different wood? Is it is it eight in the aging process or is it earlier? In the yeah, process? that's a good question. It's a little bit of uh we've experimented quite a bit and it's a little bit of both. And the the key that we really like to do as well, which again, just kind of opened up a whole lot of doors when, you know, everybody, I think brewers, you know, I myself was trying to do, especially as a home brewer. And then when getting into brewing professionally, you know, the idea of like how, how awesome, you know, would, um, you know, the role that it can play in, in a variety of beer styles, but that was just often in by way of like, 
oak chips, you know, if you're brewing on a smaller scale or even sometimes on a larger scale, a lot of folks just buying like oak spirals, um, you know, like pre-toasted, um, you know, just more like kind of generic, um, you know, purchasing, you know, French or American white oak typically um, is what it is. And when you can think outside the box and and really look at what's around you in, in your area or, or whatever, um, you know, there's a whole lot more out there and it's allowed us to explore all these different kinds of woods, cherry wood, pine, hickory, um, and the really the list goes on. But, you know, I, I guess I'll give um, an example of one. We make a Baltic porter we have for years with uh, shag bark, hickory, the bark from that tree. And we toast the, the bark in ovens. And that really brings out, um, it really brings out a more prominent, it sounds, uh, I guess, a little bit repetitive to say like toasty flavors, but it really does kind of help get the essence of, of the bark, the, the flavors where it might just come across as more like muted and earthy if you didn't toast it before. So we typically will toast um, most woods that we're working with um, before they go into the, the beer Kind of like searing a steak before you put it in a stew. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think it, yeah, that technique makes a world of difference with flavor. And that's what we find with, there are some exceptions to, to that rule and depending on the style of beer as well. Um, but we will typically add that into the boil, uh, anywhere from 15 minutes remaining in the boil down to Whirlpool. Um, and we've found, never found any negative off flavors or tannic. Uh, that's always been the concern, you know, even with pretty high, um, you know, pretty high threshold, like a pretty high quantity, uh, going of wood going into, um, some of, some of the boiling wort. And then, you know, from there, we have also experimented with aging the beer on, um, on whatever wood, but that gets a little bit trickier um, because especially if you're not making a mix, mixed firm beer, um, you know, if you're, and then for us, you know, trying to put that beer in a, in, say a can, um, you know, really making sure that, you know, we're introducing this super potentially funky ingredient like tree bark or what, you know, um, whatever part of the tree into a into a bright beer you know into the bright tank typically and so then you know toasting it from there also really kind of ensures that we are uh adding a a pasteurized ingredient into a beer that we don't want any uh other like microbial growth uh happening for for listeners who maybe aren't too familiar with the process if you're just tossing a raw piece of wood that you've forged from the forest in who knows what microbes are existing yeah. and what mm-hmm. they could do to that beer. Uh, you know, I, I remember there was a brewer who said, um, uh, I love those little yeasty guys. You never know what kind of party they're having. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's my favorite. Party. I forget. I forget who, I forget who said it, but it was like on one, you know, random beer tour. And um, it's the perfect synopsis of, uh, when you have uh, any kind of like spontaneous fermentation, 
you never know what kind of party they're having. It's, you know, you're kind of leaving it up to the beer gods, really. <laughs> um, so a little while back, and actually, hold on, before I get too ahead of myself, uh, is this four pack, you said, is this already released or is it coming out it's soon? A, it's about to. We have we currently have three uh, tree beers on, um, or sorry, we have two right now packaging another one next week and then another one um, the following week. So we'll kind of be at the tail end of our winter seasonal called pine zips um, that we um, that we harvest eastern white pine, um, a whole decent sized tree from from our property that goes into um, more of like a maltier sort of deep golden uh, winter IPA. And so that one will kind of be on the tail end, still really fresh, but on the tail end compared to a few of the others that um, will make up the four beers. Um, but in the next few weeks, we'll have, uh, yeah, a mixed tree uh, four pack available. Yeah. Um, but so diving back a little bit, you had, you were, when you were talking about having a sense of place, you all are in the heart of Appalachia. And one ingredient that I think is definitely one of the benchmark you know, indigenous ingredients in that area is pawpaw. And somebody, my, I grew up in Virginia, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with uh, the pawpaw. Uh, but for those who aren't, do you want to give a little synopsis on what that is and why it is so cool for people? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Virginia, gosh, when I was visiting the, the Vale uh, a few years ago in the summer and we were uh, going down the, is it, I always get it confused. Oh, is it the James in or Richmond. the John? The, the river that runs. The James, James River. Thank you. Um, there were pawpaw trees covered, just like the <laughs> banks were covered in pawpaw trees. And it was so cool to, to see floating down that river and just how many there were. Because um, oddly enough, I don't see too many um, pawpaws growing uh, in the wild, at least in our immediate area. Um, I've heard people um, kind of talk about where they are, but I haven't come across a ton um, myself. Uh, but the the pawpaw is a, a really cool really cool fruit and we've definitely made made it a mission over the course of 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 our you know eight years and in, in counting of being a brewery you know it was one of the first thing sort of weirder ingredients that we incorporated in in beer really in, in the first year and that's from from growing up in I grew up in Ohio and it in Ohio it's kind of similar to my experience of of, of seeing them in, in Virginia, but even just magnified. I mean, in in the southeastern Ohio area is when I really started finding out about them more when I was living there for a few years. It's the state fruit of Ohio. I mean, it's just like there's a pawpaw festival, the huge pawpaw festival I, in Athens, Ohio. I forget that it is so far north but it does it but it so i mean this is this is you know it's a very kind of tropical fruit and um i think it's one of the only tropical fruits that can survive so far north but it's kind of uh, mango shaped and i'd say it's like a mangoey banana i think that's pretty spot on yeah i mean it's also called the banango and in in indiana they call it the indiana banana um so yeah, there's some funky names for it, but yeah, you're right. The flavor is exceptionally tropical, which doesn't quite make sense for the areas that it grows in. 
Um, and yeah, that never quite really made it to, it should for sure be in supermarkets everywhere, but it just has a really terrible, uh, shelf life. It, it, it rots, um, pretty well immediately. And so that's why they've, um, it never really became much more than, uh, than what it is. A lot of, there's been a lot of trials for it, but then maybe one day, cause there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk around pawpaw right now. Yeah. So what kind of beers um, have you incorporated that into? What kind of styles does it uh, work well with? Yeah, historically, um, the very first beer that we made uh, was just a Belgian a Belgian blonde um, with pawpaw fruit in it. And then, because that, that was before we really kind of got our mixed culture uh, program, um, you know, really off the, off of the ground. And so we had some beer aging, um, some of the first batches that I made in barrels. And so then from there, kind of the, the big one, that we were really, um, that I would say kind of got a little bit known for was a beer called Carolina Custard. And that is what we call, uh, it's a series that we dubbed Appalachian Wild Ales and just with kind of a riff on the American Wild Ale. But it was our way of showing that these these beers are sort of indicative of, of our place and, and we're in Appalachia and these are Appalachian ingredients. And so... But we approach it the same as um, an American wild ale with some sort of spontaneous, some like lambic inspired brewing techniques. Uh, and so, you know, I guess just consider it a, a barrel aged sour beer uh, refermented on pawpaw fruit. Um, that's been our big one. Uh, it's one of my favorite beers that we make uh, to this day. And then as the years have gone by and we've you know, started branching out into even more beer styles. We now, whenever there is pawpaw available, because it is kind of a fickle crop um, in the past, um, we we do make a, a hazy uh, double IPA with pawpaw fruit as well. And those flavors go really incredibly um, in, in, that, in that style. And, you know, with a, with a hazy IPA, you can kind of really have some fun For with it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. High ABV, let's uh-huh. go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and as far as, you know, taking on the responsibility of, you know, having a farmhouse brew or, or having a farmhouse establishment, it's it's a it's a pretty big like statement mission kind of to be like, hey, we are going to exist with agricultural purpose. Yeah. And so when you were able to take on a farm, you know, what were some steps that you took to really take ownership of that mission? Yeah, gosh, I mean, we're still trying to, we talk about that mission just about every day um, because, you know, again, for, for us, we, you know, we were already essentially doing it when we were in, you know, just our, our small nano brewery in downtown Morganton, everything was, you know, really, you know, buying local grain, incorporating local weird botanicals and fruits. So, you know, once we got Whipperwill Farm out in Nebo, which surrounds um, really close to Lake James, the Limbo Gorge. So a lot of a lot of really incredible sites that we're close to as well. So we we saw it as an opportunity to really uh, capture, you know, the imagination and, 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 you know, what folks were already coming to the area for. And then, you know, for us, it was an opportunity to kind of really, really put a little bit of a driving force behind some of the things that we were already doing. Like our goal was never and still isn't to replace 
what we purchase from from local farms because we're quite frankly even we're not that big of a brewery um but the ingredients that we would have to grow would, would be pretty massive um but it also gives a pretty cool educational opportunity just for instance we you know going back to the pawpaw fruit we we've been brewing with pawpaw fruit for over eight years and uh, we currently have about 45 pawpaw trees in the ground uh, at our farm and are planning on um, really doubling down on on all of that and planting as many as we can. We have a, a pretty decent sized area cleared. Um, so the goal would, to, would be to have a decent sized pawpaw grove, you know, of, you know, 100 to 200 trees. And obviously with you know, some trees like that, it could make a meaningful uh, harvest and and have a good amount of fruit that could go into beer. But, you know, ask any tree farmer, you know, and the kind of running joke is the best time to plant, uh, you know, a fruit tree was was 10 years ago, uh, just because they take so dang long and pawpaws are pretty notorious for that as well. So, you know, especially as we're planting one or two year old trees, um, we're not going to be really utilizing it for, for quite a while. So um, we got to do our best to stay open in that amount of time too, so we can uh, brew some, some beers with our own pawpaws. Um, you know, but the, the goal of that would be, whether it's from our pawpaws or not, for folks to be drinking a pawpaw beer and wandering around our property and seeing our pawpaw grove and taking a sip of a pawpaw beer and touching you know a pawpaw tree seeing a pawpaw tree like that kind of stuff is what's been missing from beer for far too long and i think there's a huge movement that's happening to get people back to understanding that beer is 100% agricultural whereas the wine world never lost that the beer world completely lost touch of of that and that's the cool part about what we're able to bring back to the table yeah and i i think also you know you talk about a sense of place you know so many times you you go to a brewery it's like hey we're doing german styles hey we're doing British styles. Hey, we're doing Belgian styles. And it's great to have that influence, but I, I think it's really cool to see something that is so decidedly of that place. For sure. Um, you know, it's like, sure, we're doing a, a Belgian ale, but this is, this is us this is decidedly American, specifically North Carolina, specifically this area, you know? So it's, it's, it's interesting and, and really exciting to see that. And I think, you know, that experience that you're describing, you know, as you're talking about, um, this very bucolic scene here, um, you know, it kind of came to mind the last time I, I visited uh, Jester King um, right outside of Austin. It, 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 you know, it's one of those like beer, it's one of those like really wonderful beer memories. Like you're sitting on a picnic table out in a field. There's like a farmhouse in the distance, rolling hills. I have Le Petit Prince. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I see goats. I see gardens. <laughs> I see, I see fields. I mean, it was like, you know, the stars line, the angels sang, all those yeah. things. Um, but I, I feel like that's a that's a really memorable experience that I think is definitely well worth that effort. You know? Yeah, that's really cool to hear. Yeah, I've had similar experience my myself at Jester King. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can't tell you how many episodes I've plugged Jester King. <laughs> Just, just from that one experience. Just, just oh, paying you, I guess. No, I'm not at all. But 
anyone from Jester King, if you're listening, I'm happy to be, you know, a spokesperson for Lefty <laughs> Prince in, in any capacity. Um, but so I, w- I would say to listeners, definitely, if you are in the North Carolina area, take the time to visit Flora Brewery. Todd, excuse my ignorance. I, this is the one little bit of research. Where can they go? <laughs> yeah, so we have a, a fairly a newer location in uh, in Charlotte mm-hmm. um, in what's called Optimist Hall. It's a really uh, incredible food hall concept, and we have uh, a pretty pretty small, quaint brick and mortar um, in the sort of the the underside of that complex. So really amazing facility. Uh, we're really lucky to be in there. Um, our downtown Morganton location is our original one, quaint little um, pub, hardwood floors, brick walls. Um, that's, you know, yeah, that's our OG location. That's where we, everything got started back in uh, 2013. And then our farmhouse brewery, um, what we call Whippoorwill Farm, is located in Nebo, uh, North Carolina. And that is just a little bit, a little bit further um, west uh, from, from Morganton. Um, and yeah, we're yeah, beautiful, beautiful spot if you're looking to come and 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 relax and and have a few beers. Yeah, this is like instantly at the top of my list is Whippoorwill Farms <laughs> after your description. Well, Todd, thank you so much for taking the time, getting a little nerdy about pawpaws and you know, wood beer. For sure. I appreciate yeah. it. For those of you listening, any chance that you can get if you see Fontaflora on a tap or a can or a bottle just try it i guarantee you i've never had a bad beer from them ever so definitely definitely check it out i would also highly recommend taking a look at other farmhouse breweries and you know kind of exploring that subject um a lot bit because i think it's a really uh exciting uh, part of the beer world uh so for those of you listening thank you again for a wonderful episode uh Please reach out on Instagram at BeerMeRadio or on email, BeerMeRadio at gmail.com. Uh, go on all the things, like, subscribe, send all the delightful comments. Um, and just like our avid listener in Charlotte, North Carolina, if there is a region or a subject that you're particularly passionate about, reach out and it might just align with what I feel like talking about. Uh, thank you all again for listening. Todd, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you so much and for having me. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.